Hey, you're listening to Yo, This Can't Be Life, the podcast that aims to educate and inform Black women on how to take better care of their physical, mental, and financial health. I'm your host, Bree Montgomery, and I'm inviting you to join me as I interview resident experts to find out the cheat codes to living your best life. The information provided is intended to be general advice and should not be considered medical advice. For that, please consult your medical professional. Today in the guest chair, we have Kelly Wood, MD, who is board certified in internal medicine as well as endocrinology, diabetes, and metabolism. She has many years of experience working with patients to transform and improve their health. She is passionate about teaching others about the interconnections of mind, body, and spirit and how they can achieve health in all three areas and lead to a balanced life. She is your balanced living health and wellness expert. Her mission is to help women and a few courageous men who may be struggling with their weight and experiencing one or more chronic illness achieve total wellness and balanced living, mind, body, and spirit. At this time, I'd like to welcome Dr. Kelly Wood to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. And today, as you know, we're talking all things diabetes. So for those who are not as familiar with the disease, can you kind of break it down to us what diabetes actually is? Sure. So first, got to talk about glucose. So glucose or sugar is the main energy source for our cells. And insulin is a hormone that takes the glucose from the bloodstream into the cells where it's used for energy. And In patients who have diabetes, for example, in type 1 diabetes, there isn't enough insulin in their their body, so the sugar builds up in their bloodstream. However, in type 2 diabetes, there is something that's called insulin resistance, where even though insulin is around, you can think of it as insulin is a key, but the key doesn't fit the lock anymore. So glucose doesn't go into the cells and builds up into the bloodstream. So basically, diabetes is a high blood sugar levels. Type 1 diabetes, is that preventable? Because I hear type 2 diabetes being preventable, but I don't really hear that for type 1. So how does one get type 1 diabetes? Great question. So type 1 diabetes is not preventable. Right now, there is no cure for type 1 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune illness. And what do I mean by that? So our immune system makes antibodies that protect us from viruses, from bacteria, from things that are foreign to our body. But in autoimmune illnesses, the immune system makes antibodies that attack our own body. Our immune system turns on us. So in type 1 diabetes, the immune system attacks the pancreas, the organ that makes insulin. And that's what leads to um, type 1 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is insulin resistant, meaning the pancreas is making insulin just fine. And a lot of times in patients who have type 2 diabetes, they have high levels of insulin, but the insulin just doesn't work very well. And type 2 diabetes is a disease of lifestyle. Um, So patients who are individuals who are sedentary, those who don't really do much exercise or activity at all, and those who eat lots of sugars, lots of processed foods, they are at risk for having um, type 2 diabetes. Okay. If you are one of those people who develop type 1 diabetes, are 
the things that you do to mo- to monitor and kind of take care of yourself, are they drastically different from type two or is just more so the causation is different? What I've found is a lot of type one patients are usually very lean, meaning they're not usually overweight and they're very sensitive to insulin. So that puts them at risk for having, you know, more low blood sugars or hypoglycemia um, than a type two patient most of the time. So they a lot of times they have to test their blood sugars a lot more frequently than a type two patient would have to test. But things like exercise, things like making sure that you're monitoring your blood sugars, making sure that you're eating a healthy diet, they are useful in both type one and type two diabetes. Okay. So let me ask another question then. So with people who tend to have low blood sugar, but have not been diagnosed with diabetes, is that a symptom or, you know, like how, if you notice that you kind of have low blood sugar quite often, um, but you know, you haven't, your doctor hasn't talked to you about diabetes or anything like that. Should you be kind of taking an extra eye or a look at that? Certainly. So symptoms of a low blood sugar include, you know, racing of the heart, sweating, feeling kind of loopy, feeling really fatigued. Um, A lot of times patients have those symptoms, but we haven't confirmed that it really is a low blood sugar. A lot of us feel funny and we say, oh, I haven't eaten yet, so my blood sugar must be low. That might not be the case. Mm -hmm. So before you can say that your symptoms are due to low blood sugar, you really have to be checking your blood sugars to make sure that it actually is low. That's number one. A lot of us don't have, you know, glucose meters lying around um, at home, right? So if you have any of those symptoms, you really should be evaluated by your physician. What I've found is that there are some patients who have true low blood sugars, so they're documented to have low blood sugars and they don't have a diagnosis of diabetes, a lot of these patients end up having um, insulin resistance, which is the kind of, which is the precursor to having a blood sugar problem, to the precursor of having prediabetes and diabetes is insulin resistance. A lot of these patients, you know, their pancreas kind of overshoots when they have a high carb meal and they can feel their blood sugars dropping. So I do think that sometimes low blood sugars, especially after a high carb meal, could be a sign to you that you might be headed in the direction of being pre-diabetic or even being diabetic. Okay. And would that be the case for waking up in the morning or what would cause that? Because a lot of times I've heard of people having really low blood sugar when they wake up in the morning. Are they not like eating enough before they go to bed or are they eating something really high in sugar? So their blood sugar crashes overnight. This is without a diagnosis of diabetes, you mean? Yes, correct. So usually when someone has fasting, which means not eating yet, fasting hypoglycemia, that is a, that could be a sign that their pancreas has like a small tumor that's making too much insulin. Usually the, the patients that I see who have the insulin resistance, their blood sugars are low during the day, especially after a, a high carb meal. Mm-hmm. But if you're waking up with a low blood sugar, you definitely need to be evaluated for an insulinoma or the small tumor that makes high levels of insulin. Wow. Okay. All right. So I know you mentioned that the average person doesn't have blood monitors and things like that. 
if you suspect that you might have an issue, do you think that's something that you should invest in? Or is it just go to the doctor and see what they are saying? I I would recommend, you know, if you think you have a a low blood sugar problem or high blood sugar problem, you can definitely just go to your physician, your primary care physician. They will listen to your symptoms and then decide what testing needs to be done. You know, I wouldn't suggest that everyone goes out there and and get some meter and start, you know, sticking Mm -hmm. themselves, but certainly do that under under the direction of your primary care physician. And that Please put another point, like we should all be going to our annual physicals. Mm-hmm. I know with the um, COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of us have been afraid to go to our doctor's offices or afraid to go to the ER. Um, but people are still having heart attacks. People are still having strokes. People are still having diabetes, even in the midst of a pandemic. So we should still be keeping up on our routine screening and our routine medical exams. So Usually when you go to your doctor um, once a year, they will be looking at your kidney function. They also check your blood sugar levels. A lot of patients might not even have diabetes symptoms, but it gets picked up on blood work. Oh, great. Okay. So sometimes I see people talking about glucose numbers specifically, and then other times I see people talking about something called an A1C. What are the difference between those two, or are they kind of interchangeable? They're, they're not interchangeable, but they're both um, measures of, of our blood sugar control. So the A1C is actually a three-month blood glucose average. And a normal hemoglobin A1C is less than 5.7%. So 5.6% and lower is normal. To be diagnosed as having diabetes, your A1C should be 6.5% or higher. So anything between 5.7 and 6.4% is considered prediabetes. So when my patients come to see me, usually every three months, we do the A1C to get a capture of what their blood sugar control was like over the preceding three months. Um, The A1C, you don't have to be fasted for it. Um, It's a really simple test to do. Um, we even have machi- machines in our office that can give point of care A1C, meaning that I can stick someone's finger and in seven minutes, I can get an A1C result that tells me how their blood sugars have been managed over the preceding three months. In terms of the actual blood glucose level, we can also use that to diagnose diabetes. So a fasting number, meaning you've not eaten for eight to 12 hours, a fasting number in the morning, a normal fasting blood sugar level is when you're less than 100. For you to have diabetes, your number has to be 125 milligram per deciliter or higher. Anything between 100 and 124, we call that prediabetes. Um, we also check our patient's blood sugars after eating. Um, we call those postprandial glucose levels. And just to give you the numbers, um, a normal postprandial glucose level is less than 140 milligram per deciliter. So I don't have diabetes, but my blood sugars are going to go up after I eat. We allow it to go up up to 140. Hmm. Patients who have um, diabetes, their number is 200 milligram per deciliter or higher. Anything between, you know, 140 and 200, we call that prediabetes. Okay, great. So for those of us who are trying to either manage or kind of stop ourselves from getting diabetes in the first place, what kind of things should we be concentrating on lifestyle-wise? That's a great question. So 
about 88 million Americans have prediabetes, meaning mm. that their blood sugars are not quite in the diabetes range, but they're not normal. And a lot of those individuals don't even know that they have a blood sugar problem. So there are different studies that were done looking at the effect of lifestyle um, changes on preventing someone who had prediabetes or preventing someone who was obese from having full-blown diabetes. And what they found is that lifestyle changes with, with lifestyle changes were even more um, effective than a medication that's called metformin. So what they recommend is that if you have prediabetes, that you lose 10%, 7%, sorry, of your um, body weight. So if you're 200 pounds, that would be something like, what, 15, 16 pounds? That will reduce your risk of having full-blown diabetes. How do you do that? One, you need to be active. And the recommended amount of exercise is 150 minutes per week. So I tell my patients all the time, you can do 30 minutes, five days a week, you know, for people who you know, need to build up their exercise tolerance. You can do 15 minutes in the morning, you know, 15 minutes after dinner. A lot of us, you know, eat our biggest meal in the evening things. And then we go sit down and watch TV for the rest of the day. So we're not burning off a lot of those carbs. So a good strategy, you know, we're all at home anyways, is to go for a 15 minute walk after dinner, walk around your neighborhood. Um, in terms of diet, we got to limit the carbs. So a lot of us, you know, can't do the really strict low carb or the keto diet where you eat less than like 30 grams of carb per day. But certainly we can try to keep our carb intake. You know, if we if we eat three meals a day, we can keep our carb intake to be, you know, 30 to 45 grams per meal. And then, you know, about 10 to 15 grams for two or three snacks per day. So I would recommend, you know, keeping your carb intake to be uh, less than 130 grams. For sure. Okay. All right. That's definitely doable. For those of us who, I guess, have diabetes or have a severe case, would the keto diet be something that's recommended? If they can, I guess. Right. (laughs) So I would say you need to do whatever diet that you can maintain and you can sustain. I have one patient who went on a keto diet and he actually, like his A1C number the last time I checked it was almost normal, but he's been super strict with his diet. Like his idea of a cheat meal was a tablespoon, was a teaspoon of peanut butter. So mm-hmm. he was really, really strict. Most okay. of my patients can't do that. Right. Um, you also have to be careful with, like if you also have high cholesterol level or heart issues, you have to be careful with the amount of, of fats that are included with the keto diet. Mm-hmm. My recommendation would be to stick to a diet, stick to a, a lifestyle change, I would say, that is beneficial for you. You know, some of my patients also go on plant-based diets. Those have, that has also been shown to be um, effective in lowering blood sugars. Okay, great. All right. So it's more about one of those things that is healthy and you can stick to. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, we're all human beings. So I tell my patients all the time, you can treat yourself as somebody's birthday. You want to have a piece of cake? Well, have a piece of cake. Right, <laughs> but just right. understand that your blood sugar might be high for the next like couple of hours. But don't be having a piece of cake every evening after with, with your as a dessert right. after dinner, right? Yeah. So it's all about moderation. It's all about making the best decisions that you could make um, every single day. Living with diabetes is is difficult. I mean, it affects all 
aspects of your life. I mean, with the holidays, you can't be eating what your family's eating at Thanksgiving dinner. You know, you got to make some adjustments and make some changes. Um, even with testing your blood sugars, a lot of patients don't test because it's just a little, it just gets too much, you know? Okay. Now I've actually heard about some new tools that you don't have to prick yourself. I think it was called a continuous monitor. Mm-hmm. What it, Do you think that those are accurate enough to replace a blood prick or maybe you don't have to do the blood prick every day? So yeah, um, it's called a continuous glucose monitor. So there are a few available that I love. One is called um, Freestyle Libre. A lot of my patients use that. It's very, very easy. A lot of my patients in their 70s and 80s are able to use it. And it's a center that you change every two weeks. You know, technology has improved so much over the last couple of years. Like initially, whenever you had a sensor on, you would have to stick your finger to do what we call calibration of the sensor to make sure that the sensor is accurate. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, you don't even need to calibrate the sensors anymore. The sensors basically check your blood sugars every couple of minutes. It provides a tracing so that, you know, as a physician, I can see trends so I can make better um, decisions in terms of adjusting my patient's um, insulin or medications, I would say. And patients also also love it because they feel more in control. They also can see the effect of certain foods on their blood sugars. So having a sensor on can certainly um, change patient behavior. Think about it. like If you're sticking yourself by a finger stick, you're only seeing your blood sugars in snapshots um, every four hours or so. But if you have a sensor on, you're going to be seeing your blood sugars like throughout the entire day. So a lot of times when, you know, patients get up with a a high blood sugar in the morning, sometimes it's because their blood sugars are dropping really low during the night and their body gets sent into a fight or flight response. And that leads to the high blood sugars in the morning. And sometimes we can't, we don't recognize that on until the patient starts to wear a sensor and we could see what's going on when they're sleeping. So I found it to be very, very useful. A lot of my patients who find sticking their fingers to be very painful, they do really well on the sensor. So, you know, once your insurance company covers it, I think, you know, if you have diabetes that you should speak to your physician to get you on a sensor. Okay. All right. Sounds good. And I've seen like with that, you would pretty much be able to see, like you said, uh, certain foods that cause, I guess, more problems than others. I've heard about something called the glycemic index, and I guess it's supposed to kind of be like that for people who don't have those kind of things are to give you an indication of what foods would sort of spike your blood sugar more so than others. Do you think that that is a good guide to use? Yeah, certainly it is. I mean, I think I believe the glycemic index was created, I think, in either Scotland or Ireland at a university there. And what they found is that, you know, foods that are higher on the glycemic index are going to spike your blood sugars higher. Um, So certainly if you are someone that likes to do a lot of research, you can do that. But just a simple thing um, that I tell a lot of my patients is try to stay away from the white stuff. You know, if you have to have bread or pasta, make sure it's whole grain. Um, the, the more fiber that you have with your meals or with your carbs, I should say, the slower the spike um, of, of your blood sugars would be. Okay. All right. That sounds like a good guide to you. 
and then also like you know i also recommend like the plant the plate method so if you have a plate in front of you you know half of your plate should be you know salad or non-starchy vegetables like broccoli cauliflower um the other one quarter of your plate should be a lean meat and the other quarter should be a, a healthy carb you know even though you have diabetes you still need carbs at the beginning i mentioned that glucose is the main source energy for ourselves and our brain only uses glucose so the goal isn't to cut all glucose out of your diet like that's going to be impossible to do but we can make better choices when it comes to the type of carbs that we have you know rather you have a piece of sweet potato than for you to go and have you know a burger and french fries so you can still have carbs but choose carbs that are healthier choose carbs that are not as processed, choose more whole grain. Okay. And I know we talked about basically when our bodies get to a point where it's not processing even the insulin that we have already. Mm -hmm. If we're gotten to the point where there's that insulin resistance, how long does it take to try to, I guess, reverse that and is that really possible to totally reverse it? Or is it a situation where we're just going to have to continuously monitor it? So good news, <laughs> insulin resistance can definitely be reversed. And one of the best ways to reverse insulin resistance is by losing weight. Okay. So weight loss, patients who lose weight can reverse their, literally reverse their diabetes, their type 2 diabetes. Exercise also reduces insulin resistance. And then there's also medicine called metformin that reduces insulin resistance, that increases, it, it makes your muscles and your cells more efficient at utilizing glucose. So those are the three strategies that you can use if you have insulin resistance, weight loss, exercise, and if you're, you and your doctor decide to put your medication, then the medication is called metformin. Okay. So we do have options. And I was talking to one young lady who the metformin didn't work for, but the exercise and the nutritional changes did. So that's good to know that you, there's more than one way Definitely. to work on the situation. Like I mentioned earlier, that study that I talked about actually compared metformin to lifestyle changes in terms of preventing people from going from prediabetes to full-blown diabetes. And the lifestyle changes was more effective than metformin. So we can literally cure our type 2 diabetes with diet, with exercise, and with weight loss. And it's important to try to do this early on in your diagnosis. If you try to really put effort in within the first you know, two to five years of being diagnosed, you can cure it. If you've had diabetes for 10, 15, 20 years, it's less likely for you to get off of all your medications. But I've seen so many success stories of patients really getting strict about their exercise routine and what they put into their bodies and they have gotten off of insulin. So having a diabetes diagnosis is certainly not a death sentence. Mm -hmm. Some people believe that their life is over when they have when they get that diabetes diagnosis. It's not. It's not even saying that you're going to be on insulin forever, but that is entirely up to you. If you don't make any lifestyle changes, you probably will be. But if you do implement exercise in your diet, you can get off of insulin. Wow. 
And that's, that's fantastic. Cause a lot of times I don't think I knew a lot of people in my family and then, you know, around me and I never heard them even suggest that they could get off of it. It's kind of a lot of people, the mindset is kind of like certain, okay, it's in my family. It's happened to me now. This is just what we have to deal with for the rest of our lives. I don't think that at least a lot of the older generations treated it as something that could be temporary. Yes. Um, I think a lot of physicians also don't give that patient the motivation to do that either. Because if, if I tell you, I have to put you an insulin right now because your, your blood sugars are really high and you can get really sick from this. But if you make these changes, you can get off of it. That empowers the patient to try to go out and make those changes. So I think physicians also need to recognize that diabetes isn't forever. Some patients, people can actually reverse it and tell our patients that so that they're motivated to go and try. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that is totally true because a lot of people, I don't think know that how quote unquote easy it is for you to be able to achieve that fee. I think information is not the greatest sometimes in that communication, but hopefully we'll get to a point where that is better. I feel like lately in general, we've had more resources to teach people. Mm -hmm. I've heard of programs being started where like actual grocery store lists are kind of like the prescription Versus mm-hmm. prescription drugs, which I think is wonderful. So hopefully that type of trend continues where it's more like you need to exercise. You need to eat more of these foods instead of let's put you directly on this medication. Now, of course, if the person is not willing or able to make some of the changes, then, hey, you, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I... I tell a patient, I recommend that we do this. And they say, you know, I don't want to go on more medication. I say, here what? I give you three months. You're going to see me in three months and we'll, we'll reassess. You know, if things change, great. If, if things don't, then we really got to talk about medications. And, you know, people, when they really become disciplined about their health, they feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. Like when patients come in and we've got under A1C from like 10 down to seven, like they are, I am proud of them, but they are even prouder of themselves. So it's always a joy for me when someone finally gets it and finally takes care of their bodies because, you know, diabetes, like hypertension, like like heart disease, they are silent killers. Like, you know, I tell them all the time, if your blood, if a high blood sugar caused pain, you would not allow your blood sugar to get so high. But because it's painless until you have a complication from it, Mm -hmm. that's why people don't take care of themselves. So, you know, people might think that I'm trying to scare them, but literally, I've seen every single complication from diabetes. I've seen people who, young people in their 20s and 30s who are blind, who are on dialysis. Um, I had a patient of mine, she was a, a teacher and she had a series of strokes. The first time I met her, she couldn't remember where she lived. So obviously she couldn't teach anymore. Wow. Um, I've had patients who've had heart attacks. So the complications of diabetes are real and we don't talk about them enough. So because high blood sugars are not causing you pain right now, you decide not to check it or decide to skip your insulin or decide to eat ice cream every night because you're not feeling any pain until you have a complication. So that's why really getting good blood sugar control, especially the first 
five years of being diagnosed with diabetes is really important to reduce your risk of having any of these complications. Yes, absolutely. I I totally agree. And I don't think that I realize how common it was. I recently watched a documentary. I don't know if you've heard of it, Blood Sugar Rising. I haven't. It was a doozy. It had wow. it, it showed it made it more personal and it put a face on it. Mm-hmm. And also it showed a lot of I guess the this newer, younger generation who have been getting in in way higher numbers, but are not necessarily what the stereotype is, which is like overweight and Mm -hmm. older. These are like you said, just like this guy was skinny, tall, 20 something, late twenties or something like that. And he ended up getting like his toes cut off. Mm -hmm. And it's just like right before that he was out, playing basketball, hooping it up with his friends. And you just would have never thought that he would have had diabetes in the first place, but to have it to that level. Right. Right. So, and it definitely was, you know, you know, a lot of sugary drinks, a lot of snacks, a lot of things like that, where he just was eating whatever. And over time, his body just couldn't handle it anymore. Right. And and even this like COVID-19 pandemic has just, brought to the fore, to, you know, to the forefront of how good blood sugar control is because one of the ma- biggest risk factors for having, you know, serious complications and even death from COVID-19 is diabetes. It's a lot of young patients who have, might be overweight or obese and have some blood sugar problems. You know, they're the ones that are ending up in the ICU. They're the ones that are dying from, from COVID-19. So if this is one season that if you have diabetes, you should be really focused on getting blood sugar, um, getting your blood sugar under control is during this pandemic. Yes, absolutely. I agree. And a lot of people, like you said, I think earlier, didn't even know they had diabetes. So they're being a little bit more careless because they're like, I'm healthy, nothing's wrong Mm -hmm. with me. And then they're ended up in the ICU. Like, I didn't, know what's going on and you know they ended up did have diabetes and were high risk and didn't even realize it so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just one of those things where you just gotta stay ready yes so thank you for coming on to speak to us about that did you have anything else you wanted to discuss no um so I also you know diabetes is one of my passions so I do do diabetes coaching Okay. Um, if you want to work with me or, or learn more about me, you can certainly reach out to me. My email address is drkelly at drkellywoodmd.com. You can just shoot me an email and we can, you know, set up a strategy session. Okay. And if we want to, are you active on social media? Yes. Yes. You can follow me, um, find me on all social media handles at drkellywoodmd and I'll spell that for you. So dr. K-E-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D-M-D. All right. Thank you very much. This has been fantastic. So for if we were trying to look for some more resources, do you have any suggestions on where we can get more information? Great. So the American Diabetes Association, their website has a lot of free resources about, you know, exercise, about diet, about carbs, about what to do if your blood sugars are high, or low, how to manage your blood sugars during times of stress and infection. So it's a really good resource, um, you know, to get some information and handouts. So you can find that on 
I, I believe it's AmericanDiabetesAssociation.com or ADA.com. Okay, great. Thank you. I think that will be a good starting point for a lot of people. Certainly. So I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And there you have it, guys. I love it when a doctor is not only open to, but prefers to help a patient reverse their condition naturally with lifestyle changes. Again, if you would like to work with Dr. Kelly, you can go to drkellywoodmd.com or follow her on Instagram at drkellywoodmd. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead and subscribe. We're on all the major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please consider rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts as this helps the show. Until next time.